Today on Stick to Football, we're going to go back over a couple big games from the weekend that we missed that kicked off after our Stanford tailgate. We're going to look at some of the things happening around the NFL that are going to affect the NFL draft as well as the playoffs. And we are going to fix the Atlanta Falcons, which I tweeted out Tuesday morning. This is a tall job for a team that has some cap problems, some aging players at key positions. But Connor, we have a fun show today with also a lot of draft on draft questions. Yeah, we really do. You guys have been great about sending those questions in, so we really appreciate that. We're going to get through a ton of those today, probably two full segments on it. And of course, Matt, we've gotten a lot of questions about the Atlanta Falcons, and we've called this one of the most desirable potential jobs on the NFL market this year. Uh, so this one, it'll be a lot of fun to fix it, see how we want to tailor the roster. Not really a lot of free agency moves, but a lot of mock draft kind of moves. But before we get into any of that, one more reminder that we will be at the SEC Championship game, partnered with Johnsonville. Our guest will be Sean Alexander. That's on December 7th, right outside Mercedes-Benz Stadium before the game. There's going to be a cook-off competition, professional cornhole players over there. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great. So if you were unable to make any of the tailgate tour stops as we officially wrapped up our regular season schedule we got one more bonus one over there down in atlanta yeah that's gonna be a fun one uh gonna be a good day action-packed day we are gonna record the podcast sean alexander will be hanging out with us so a lot going on if you're going to the sec championship game come find us like connor said right in front of mercedes-benz uh so easy easy to find all right let's jump in around the league a little bit connor one thing we missed on saturday because we recorded early was the arizona state game against oregon a huge win for Arizona State. Uh, probably the biggest we've seen our guy Herm Edwards win there. My my lord, are we all wrong about that one? But Herm gets the job done against Justin Herbert. And I think the key here, uh, we can talk about Brandon Ayuk, we can talk about everything we love from Arizona State, but it's really the struggles of Justin Herbert were what shocked me most. And this is something that I feel like we are a benefit because we talk about the draft year-round. So we've been talking about this for a couple months, but it seems like this was put on a national stage Saturday. Justin Herbert, for all the traits and the arm strength, and he's big and he's mobile, there are times he just misses with passes. And it's why I've told you guys before, I get a Blaine Gabbert vibe from Justin Herbert very often because of the misses. Now, can that be fixed? I think that remains to be seen. Situation is going to dictate a lot as far as his NFL future goes because there are really beautiful traits there. But like Josh Allen, like Drew Locke, like some of these guys we've seen in the last few classes, I think the success of Justin Herbert will be dictated by where he goes in the NFL and if he's given time to develop because he is not what I would consider a plug-and-play quarterback prospect right now. I'm with you all the way. I mean, we've had concerns from the get-go with this one. I think when you look at Justin Herbert here, the composure has been a big question mark. This was a game that Oregon had to have. I mean, Oregon had a shot here, Matt, to be in the college football playoff, and and they had a good shot to be in the college football playoff. Now, you play at Arizona State. Arizona State has played up to their level of competition the entire year, but that's not an excuse. I mean, the two interceptions, even getting away from the turnovers, there were times where he was just sailing the football high, out of bounds, and I think when it comes down to it for Herbert, does he have all the physical talent? Of course he does. There's no question about that with Justin Herbert. He has all the tools to develop. But when you look at the natural things, like being calm and collected, like hitting those big-time throws, like living up to what you're expected to do in the moment, it's just not there. And Justin Herbert's going to be a first-round pick. Some team is going to risk their jobs on that, and I think that's a risky, risky play. I wouldn't do it. 
And I just think when you look at this quarterback class, I, I know there's going to be you know, some teams in flux because Joe Burrow is going to go very early. I think Tua still goes really early, even with the injury questions. Yep. But after that, there's no sure thing. But if there's anything we've learned this year, Justin Herbert certainly falls into that category of no sure thing. Yeah, and you know my my issues with him. So people aren't thinking that we're just you know picking and choosing here. Uh, he misses a lot of easy throws. I mean, this is largely a one read offense. I mean, he's making one read and chucking the ball, or then trying to move. Doesn't set his feet in the pocket. He doesn't scan the field at all. Like I don't ever see him get to second, third, fourth progression. Watching Joe Burrow play, that's one of my favorite things is you see his head move. He's checking his progressions. You don't see that with Justin Herbert. And yes, there are beautiful throws that he'll make. Uh, Two weeks ago against Arizona, he made one of the best throws I've ever seen him make, dropping it over the top, perfectly placed, excellent timing. But he just misses way too many easy throws for my liking. And so, yeah, we're going to talk a lot about in the next five months the disparity of where we rank Justin Herbert versus where we predict he will be drafted because they are not going to line up. I can already guarantee you that one. Now, speaking of quarterbacks, because this is, I mean, it's taking over the NFL, the play of young quarterbacks, your guy Sammy Darnold has been so good the last several weeks. I actually tweeted this on Sunday. It's good to see good Sam Darnold again, the guy that, I mean, he was my number one quarterback coming out. He was Mello's number one quarterback coming out. And there were times this year where I was afraid to say that because he, you know, had like the game against the Patriots where it's the Patriots. That'll happen. The game against the Jags, you know, those were bad games. But looking what he did against the Cowboys um, early in the year, it's like, okay, we saw like some potential. Then, you know, the bounce back, four touchdowns against the Redskins, two against the Raiders in a blowout win. He's playing that same brand of consistent but attacking football that made me love him at USC. And when the offensive line protects him, he can do beautiful things. So I think that's where when we talk about fixing the Jets right now, they would pick 10th. They got to go all in on this offensive line to help Sam Darnold. Yeah, they really do. And it's no coincidence that I believe they're four and one or I know they have a winning record when Kelvin Beecham plays at left tackle for them. So when they have their starting left tackle, and this new unit on the interior, you look at the transition from Ryan Khalil to Jonathan Harrison, there's been a big difference there. Just in November, Darnold's been really, really phenomenal. I mean, 10 total touchdowns, just two turnovers. He's completing over 66% of his passes, and he's averaging 275 yards passing per game. Those are franchise quarterback numbers, and that's what a lot of people believe Sam Darnold can be. And he's 22 years old, Matt. So we're used to seeing this roller coaster for quarterbacks that age. We've seen it uh, really across the league for quite some time. And I think if you are a fan of Sam Darnold or a fan of the Jets, you have to be very happy for the steps he's taken. And you also have to wonder, yeah, he had the great game against Dallas returning from Mono, but that doesn't mean he was full throttle, 110% ready to go. I think that's something to point out. And I saw you put it in the rundown, and it is funny that the New York Post wrote about Sam Darnold. How dumb is this? Celebrating with his team and celebrating Daryl Roberts' 29th birthday. And they, they had this big note that it was at Bounce in New York City. The Jets and NFL players have been going to Bounce forever. So it was like this big thing. It's like, I think it's a good thing that Sam Darnold is out with members of the defense. That's what you want to see. He's out with Jamal Adams, Marcus May, Jermaine Johnson, who has not been very good for the Jets, but the point still stands. I would rather the 22-year-old quarterback after a blowout win going out to celebrate with members of the team than being a complete hermit and not. And you've won three straight games. 
I mean, this they were one in seven at the break at the halfway mark. This team was reeling. You've won three straight. You're 22 years old. I celebrated landing in San Francisco harder than that. Like, come on, it's not a big deal. I don't. I could not imagine living as a professional athlete in New York. Just the the attention would be uh, unbearable. We do have one NFL game. Next week's NFL schedule is actually amazing. But we have one game that already feels like game of the year. Might be a Super Bowl preview the way both teams are playing. The Ravens and Niners play next week. And after watching these two teams play, watching the Niners Sunday night, watching the Ravens on Monday night, I have never been more excited to watch like last year, Rams Chiefs, the whole country was like buzzing about, but you knew no one was playing defense in that game. On In this game, both offenses, uh, the Ravens offense, obviously more prolific than the 49ers, but what the two defenses are doing as well. I don't know if this is just me as a Niners homer or what, but this game feels like number one, it should be flexed to the Sunday night game Completely over the Patriots Texans. And number two, I don't know that there's been a game this year that I'm more excited to just watch the X's and O's matchup of these two teams. I mean, I'm with you all the way because when you look at the matchup on paper, we are getting coordinator matchups that are probably future head coaches in this league, whether it's the assistant on the offensive staff for Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, whether it's Robert Salah, other defensive coordinator who's probably getting a head coaching job, whether it's Greg Roman, whose name is picking up a ton of steam for what you know, he's Greg, done in Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, this isn't just Harbaugh Shanahan. This is staff versus staff and elite staffs. Lamar Jackson, the front runner for the MVP, the Ravens with all kinds of players stepping up on defense right now. Marcus Peters, I mean, holy shit. What a great, great acquisition for Baltimore. And then look at the Niners, what they've done. Fred Warner, maybe the most underrated front seven player in all of football right now. Nick Bosa, uh, the entire defensive line. It's just, this is going to be, I mean, this can truly, truly be yet another Super Bowl preview. And I think with Greg Roman, I'm glad you mentioned him. He's going back to San Francisco where he was the offensive coordinator uh, under Jim Harbaugh. So there is some familiarity there. I think that, you know, he would, I'm sure this is a game he would like to win. And I think for Greg, this is a lot of validation that this is that offense that they ran with Colin Kaepernick. This is just a, a evolved version of that, what they're doing in Baltimore. So I think that. If you are an owner or a general manager that wants to get a little outside the box right now, Greg Roman at 47 years old is a really interesting name because of what he, he is a quarterback's coach. He's has tight ends coach experience. He has offensive line coach experience, but this is a dude that he knows how to coach up offenses and quarterbacks. So I think Greg Roman's a really interesting name. The matchup of that offense against Robert Salah's defense is going to be amazing. And I tweeted this out. I feel like the Niners are one of the only teams on paper that could stop the Ravens run game without having to overcommit in the box, which is what we've seen everyone have to do. Like you have to respect Lamar as a runner and you have to respect Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. So you get sucked up into loading up the box and then they gash you up the seam like we saw last night. So I think I want to see the Niners go man to man against the Ravens and just see what happens because they might be one of the few teams that can do that. Nick Bosa against Ronnie Stanley is also like that scouting porn watching those two all pros go at each other is going to be phenomenal. So hopefully both teams are at full strength. Joe Staley, hopefully back for this one because somebody's got to stop Matt Judon and right now no one's doing it. Uh, It's crazy. I mean, he's about to get a lot of money in free agency. Well-deserved. And then when you look at the Niners with Salah, 
I mean, they're just doing a lot of different things this year. That's great coaching, the adjustments they've made. They've been a little more willing to play man coverage. I believe Richard Sherman came out and said that. And when you look at going back one more note on Greg Roman before we close out this segment, Matt, it is hilarious that and how hard the NFL can be. Greg Roman was fired from the Bills two games into the 26th season by Rex Ryan after the Bills scored 31 points in a loss, and Rex's defense gave up almost 500 yards. So sometimes the wrong guy's fired, and it's great to see him rebound. Let's take a break. We come back. We're going to fix those Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons headed into this year. We really thought this was a team. They had the quarterback. They got running backs, receivers, guys on defense. Maybe they can make some noise in the NFC South. Instead, They're reeling right now, projected to pick number six overall. Dan Quinn is on the hot seat. Thomas Dimitrov on the hot seat. And Connor, they have a projected minus $8 million in salary cap space for next year. This is a team that desperately needs our help. First, I want to look at some guys who will be free agents. Austin Hooper playing as well as any tight end not named George Kittle right now. Austin Hooper is going to be a free agent. Vic Beasley had that one great year, been kind of a bust ever since. Jack Crawford, Adrian Claiborne. So a lot of guys on defense there that will be free agents. I think that factors a lot into how we have to make a plan for them. But first and foremost, Dan Quinn, as a head coach, seems like a guy this team really believes in. They rallied a couple weeks ago, got a couple wins, but have a big, big setback this past weekend. And so when I look at this, Arthur Blank is a patient man. He's a good owner, has a ton of money invested into this team with the new stadium. Are they going to have to find a new head coach that can turn this around? The, the Falcons, since halftime of the Super Bowl against the Patriots, have looked like a completely different team than the, the group that got there. I think some of that you can say Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel are gone. That's been huge for this offense that hasn't been able to find consistency since then, but Dan Quinn's defense, which is his specialty, has not looked great either. It is not, man. And the thing is, when you look at the Falcons roster here, you said it, Matt. There's not really a lot of fat to trim. These contracts have significant guaranteed money left on them. Don't get me wrong. They're mostly with good players. I can't sit here and crap on you for drafting well and extending your talent. Yep. But there's not a lot of wiggle room where they can go fix things in free agency. They're going to have to draft well. And I think that's why it goes back to what do we do here at the head coaching spot? Because do you think this year is just, it's a down year? I don't think so. I think Dan Quinn has simply struggled since Kyle Shanahan left. I was wrong about this team. I thought they'd be in the hunt for a wild card spot all along. They're three and eight. The defense has been, uh, you know, basically horrendous for all things considered. They can't stop the pass. They need corners. They need a pass rush. But let's really kick it off, Matt. Assuming they do look at the head coaching market, what direction do they go in? Because this should be the number one job available if the Dallas Cowboys job doesn't open up. Yeah, I would say as long as Dallas doesn't open up, then this is a big one. And I, I think that, you know, we have been throwing out a lot of the same names over and over again, but. That's because they are the top names. And I, so I think you've said it. Robert Sala, Mike McDaniel, those are big names. Josh McDaniel, would he, is he willing to leave New England? Or is he tabbed as the guy who's going to replace Bill Belichick? Those are the, the big NFL names. You know, um, Dan Campbell and Pete Carmichael with the New Orleans Saints, would they go in the division to a, a rival like the Atlanta Falcons to be head coaches? I think they are interesting guys. Greg Roman. Would be a lot of fun with this offense, but also like Matt Ryan doesn't fit what Greg wants to do offensively. So how would that? Uh, how would those two fit together and blend together? 
Then I think you go back to the CEO type guys. Matt Rule, Matty Campbell coming from the college game would be potential guys that I I think could be a fit here uh, just because what they bring to the table. Chris Richard, who's the the defensive passing game coordinator, which is a dumb title for the Cowboys. If they don't shake up the head coach, he could be someone who could be on the move. I think that would be interesting. I've talked about this before. Oftentimes, we don't see teams go from a defensive coach to a defensive coach. Yep. So a lot of the names are going to be offensive. You know, Kevin Stefanski, Eric Bieniemy. Um, I, I don't think we would see uh, a Matt Eberflus here. or Dave Taub would be a kind of a surprise, even though there's a bit of a connection to some of that Belichick style um, and Scott Pioli, who was here previously. But there's not like a clear-cut name. I know I just listed like nine. There's not one name where I'm like, oh, my God, this this coach would be perfect there. I mean, outside of Lincoln Riley, which I think you can say any team that has some offensive pieces, Lincoln Riley would be a really fun fit. I think the question is, is this the job where Mike McDaniel gets a look? Because of how successful this franchise was when Kyle Shanahan was there and the belief that Mike McDaniel will take all of those great things he's worked on with Kyle Shanahan. I know it's under him. But the two have really yeah. worked great together, and that's the relationship there. Is this the job that he finally gets that look and can bring you know that offensive powerhouse back to Atlanta? I think Mike is a really interesting name there um, because the the Shanahan connection. I also think, and we are huge fans of Mike McDaniel, and I'm not telling secrets out here, but Mike had to, he went to rehab for for alcoholism, and I think that's something that anyone who's going to hire him as a head coach has to really look into. And uh, this is it's one of those things like it's known, but it's not known because how long ago that was, I actually don't know. But I I know that he's been you know clean and sober ever since, and that's that's awesome. Like that's what we want yeah. is is for you know these guys to figure out like okay what is what is your trigger and and how can you be better and so i think for mike like that's a, a great thing that that he has been clean and that he's healthy but if you're the falcons like you have to dig into that and i think maybe that they're the team like you said that can do that because of the relationship with kyle shanahan for, and, yeah. and they know they know what this guy uh, brings to the table a little bit so i think that's exciting because it would be great for Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, because this is an offense that they've they've been in before. And like you said, I mean, he was there for that, I guess, two years under Kyle as a, an offensive assistant. It was before he was really elevated to a coordinator role. But there's some familiarity there that would make that a, a really exciting fit. Yeah, I think so, too. That's the one name for me in Atlanta that I look at and go, if you want to go the route where the Packers kind of surprised a lot of people with LaFleur, Sean McVay at the time was a very big surprise for the Rams I think McDaniel is the guy in Atlanta where I look at and they'd make that hire. And a lot of people would go, wow, another guy that's under 40 years old, that's been an offensive assistant his entire career. You know, is he ready to lead a football team? And I would sit there and celebrate it. I think it would be a very, very exciting hire. The thing I love about Mike as a head coaching uh, candidate is, I mean, you mentioned a couple guys in Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay, and obviously they have – uh, a relationship there and I think they're similar as coaches but I think with McDaniel he's so similar to Kylan that he's great at scheming you know he's not going to be the stand up in front of the room rah-rah guy like Sean McVay yep. uh, but what he does as a an X's and O's schemer in the run game I think is unparalleled in the NFL Greg Roman's really good don't get me wrong and Kyle's done a great job of evolving his dad's offense but when you talk to folks who know these guys about what makes this team tick 
is Mike McDaniel, you know, sitting in a closet basically scheming out the run game is what makes him so valuable. And it's why guys like Matt Breida can come in and, and you know, pop off, you know, 100 yards any week basically. So I think McDaniel would be a blast here. I think some of the definitely the personnel matches up really well because again, we've seen them have success with that type of offense. So getting Matt Ryan back to what worked would be a beautiful thing. Like you said, Mike's 36 years old, so he's a young guy, but I think if you are willing to accept the this is not going to be like a PR move because he's he's not Sean McVay as far as personality goes, but this might be a move that just lets you win football games. And I think Arthur Blank can sell that. Now we mentioned, Connor, you said it well. They have they don't have a lot of fat that they can trim, but they need to because the salary cap is an absolute mess here. That is in large part because Matt Ryan will count thirty five million thirty three million dollars, excuse me, against the two thousand twenty salary cap. Julio Jones will count $20 million, Jake Matthews $16 million, and Grady Jarrett another $16 million. Now, where things could get interesting, I think we've heard before there was some interest in trading Devonta Freeman. You can cut Devonta Freeman and save about $5 million, or excuse me, $3.5 million. So I think we could see him gone. You can cut Desmond Trufant, who I love, but is 29 years old, and save $5 million. You can release Ty Sambrello, who you drafted to replace. You drafted Caleb McGarry to replace this guy. You can save $4 million. And Alex Mack, who's a 34-year-old center, still a good player, but is he worth? You can save $8 million by cutting Alex That's Mack. So one. maybe you restructure him, but $8 million for Alex Mack. This is, I don't want to say it's poor cap management, but I cut four players and save this team $19 million in salary cap space. And so, that's what they have. When you make that, yeah. there you go. There's your money. And half of that goes to the draft class. So when you look yeah. at it, it's like, okay, can the other, can you bring back Austin Hooper for $8 million a year? I don't know. Right. I mean, I don't shit. think so. Teams get crazy on the free agent market nowadays, and there's not a lot of good tight ends. So it's going to be interesting. And those are if they make those cuts. Maybe they ride it out one more year with Devonta Freeman until a lot of his dead money's gone. Although, listen, if you could save even a little bit of money at running back and draft someone as his replacement, but this also goes back to who they hire. I mean, once again, McDaniel was an offensive assistant there when things were yep. cooking. Maybe that he wants to keep Freeman if they did make that kind of hire. If they didn't, it, yeah, it's really interesting. So let's get right into it about this draft because we went through the coaches. We went through what can be a limited free agency for Atlanta. Right here is the meat and potatoes outside of the coaching hire of how to rebuild this team. Yeah, and they have seven picks, which is good news. They have two in round two thanks to the trade with New England. So let's start off here. Round one, pick six. I am going back to those needs because of free agency. Vic Beasley's gone. Jack Crawford's gone. Adrian Claiborne's gone. I think they need to get an edge rusher opposite Tack McKinley, someone with some power to their game. I'm going with A.J. Epinesa here. Again, I actually like this roster, and I think whether it's Dan Quinn or someone else, they're going to have to find a pass rush somewhere. It can't always be blitzes. It can't always be... We're going to have to bring five or six guys to get home. And obviously, Vic Beasley has not panned out. So going A.J. Epinesa, I think one of the cleaner prospects in this draft because he has size, he has speed, he has power. He's produced at Iowa over the last two years. A.J. Epinesa here, for me, is honestly just like a really good value, and it meets the need of this team. I'm with you. I love that pick right there when you look at sixth overall. And I think just to explain something here, Matt, I'm sure you're thinking the same as me. We both think Jeff Akuda is going in the top five. Right, or he would be the hands-down I pick. think Jeff Akuda yeah. is the perfect pick for this team. 
I don't have him falling to six. Love your pick of Epinesa. I'm going to go with the front seven as well. A little bit more of a chess piece player, and that's Isaiah Simmons. I think when you look at this Falcons team, they've done a pretty good job of getting guys that can play with speed. You know, whether it was Keanu Neal, Deion Jones, this list goes on and on. But they still need more, and they're going to turn this thing over. And when you look at Isaiah Simmons, you have maybe a tight end eraser, a guy that can rush the passer, a guy that can stop the run sideline to sideline. He really can do it all. This is where you're sitting there, much like you did with Epinesa, and you're going, we got to load up this defense right now. Let's take the best player on the board. Yeah, and that's where I go in round two. Still got to load up on defense, like you said. Jeff Okuda gone in round one. So I'll get Jeff Gladney from TCU in round two with pick 37. I love Jeff Gladney. I think he is... Right now, one of the more underrated corners in this class, I, I've told you in Mello, this might be my Rocky Sin, a guy that midseason I really fell in love with. And you say, like, there's no reason he shouldn't be a top 40 pick. I'm getting there with Jeff Gladney as well, someone who has size, physicality. And for a corner group that they've thrown draft picks at, we just haven't seen, like, we haven't seen Isaiah Oliver take that next step. You know, they they had a okay, the name just lost me. They had a bust a couple of years ago who was like very quickly off the team. Uh, Collins from LSU. Oh, yeah. Kendall Sheffield, I like, but I think he'll always be a nickel. So getting a, a safe shutdown corner here, not sh- excuse me, not shutdown, a safe corner here is a really smart move. Yeah, Jeff Gladney's become a bit of a darling for us at the top of round two. We're really excited to see him down in Mobile. He could really, you know, solidify himself as one of the better yeah. corners in this draft that you don't have to spend a top 15 pick on. I went with a pass rusher here. You went and got that in round one with Epinesa. I go to round two. Curtis Weaver, this guy is 13 and a half half sacks now the question is will he declare you know is he somebody that needs to go back to school have a senior bowl under his resume to solidify himself as a top 40 kind of player but I really like Weaver as a pass rush prospect I remember asking you about him about a month ago I said you know do I need to go watch this guy Curtis Weaver and you're like yeah you know what you'll be surprised because he's pretty good and he deserves to go in at least the second round so for Atlanta here they need more pass rush help Adding Simmons and Weaver to me to the front seven is an instant boost to this defense. Round two, pick 63. Again, this one from New England, so it'll most likely be very late Great in the round. trade, by I'm the going- way. Great trade. Yes, it was. Absolutely great trade for them. Uh, I love this move here. Neville Gallimore, who's been under the radar at Oklahoma all year, but he, next to Grady Jarrett, like you're just causing problems for offensive lines when you have the quickness, the first step power of these two guys lining up side by side. I'm a big Gallimore fan. I don't think we've had time yet to really talk about him enough. Redshirt senior, so we probably see him at the Senior Bowl this year. 6'3". 320 pounds, so he's a little bit of a stocky kind of bowling ball build guy, but he has power, and his first step has just been wrecking people in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, that's definitely a new name that we haven't heard a lot of buzz on, which is why it's fun to do these mock drafts every week for every team because you're guaranteed to get a handful of new names that we simply haven't had time to talk about. All right, the other second-round pick for me, I'm going back to the offensive line here. I know they invested a lot of resources into this unit last year. Keep stacking the deck. I went with Trey Smith because I think he could play right tackle. I think he could play guard. He's been phenomenal at guard for Tennessee. I say it all the time. Round one talent, you know, probably day three medical situation, probably puts him somewhere in the middle there. End of round two for Trey Smith to really, really get this ground game cooking again for Atlanta. Yeah, Trey Smith is weird because there are first round tape and there's first round traits. Obviously he was a five-star prospect coming out of high school. The injuries are just massive. You just, I have no idea what to expect with this. So we're gonna have to wait and see on that. 
Round three, pick 70. Mentioned it earlier. Devonta Freeman could be gone from this team. I, I think there's a, a strong chance of that. They don't really have anyone behind him where you feel great about them being the guy. So this might even be a little late for a running back. But Keyshawn Vaughn, and I think it was last week you talked about him, Connor. This was a player, I, I have him as the top senior running back in the country and, and had him as such over the summer. We have forgotten about him because Vanderbilt has been so bad this year. So the fact that Keyshawn Vaughn still producing on a bad Vanderbilt offense, you know, once the quarterback went down there, everything just fell apart. I think we see him in Mobile, and I think he regained some of his stock because he is electric as a runner. What he does as a receiver out of the backfield is really nice as well. So this might be, again, this might be too late to address the running back position, but if it's Mike McDaniel, this is probably too early to address the running back position, but I like Keyshawn Vaughn a lot in this offense. I do too. I think he'll be the player that a lot of draft scouts are drooling over down in Mobile because, let's be real, a lot of people don't get to watch Vandy, and and Vaughn is absolutely a, a blazer. In terms of speed, he can catch the ball very well, and I think that's really good value at pick 70 for him. That's probably his sweet spot, and I think that would have been his sweet spot last year. I'm going with corner here, and this might surprise you. I have C.J. Henderson falling to 70. Is that a surprise? I think so a little bit, but I'm going to be honest, Matt. We do this every year with Florida defensive backs. Every (laughs) single year we go, this guy in the first round, this guy in the first round, and then they fall, whether it's the second, third, fourth round. It happens every single year with these Florida defensive backs. I like C.J. Henderson's athleticism. I think he has a lot of tools to help in coverage. I don't think he's very physical. I think he's not very technically sound right now. And I think teams will really tap in and want to know the kind of personality, the kind of character C.J. Henderson has. I'm not sure where that's at right now, and that's being honest. I don't know if it's great, if it's bad, if it's somewhere in the middle, but when I strictly watch the player on film, I think he's more in the top 75 range than the top 30. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's... Florida uh, DBs not doing great, and I, I know I talked about this with Bucks fans. They're like, please stop giving us. <laughs> They're just over it. it just They're done. Doesn't work. Bri- Brian right, Poole doesn't work. Pick six this weekend. The savior. Did, Brian Poole might be the best. Not drafted. One. <laughs> fourth, fourth round, pick 101. Uh, if they can't keep Austin Hooper, this could be an earlier uh, need for them, but I, I think they find a way to make that happen. Adam Trotman from Dayton, a big tight end prospect, would be a, a nice solution here with or without Hooper because another guy that's just going to be able to beat teams over the top, six foot six, 253 pounds. You know, we saw the Falcons double down on this when it was Hooper and uh, Toy Lolo. It's like, we're just going to get tall tight ends and throw the ball up. If they're still going with that type of prototype at tight end. I think Troutman is somebody that definitely fits this. And another guy who I think he is going to see a nice stock rise. I have him at 106 overall right now. I think we could see him get a little boost from the senior bowl. Yeah, as we said on the Monday show, live from Stanford, I think this tight end class is going to be a late bloomer kind of group. I think a lot of guys are just sitting back, and then when we dive into the All-22, a lot of them will make a jump, which that happens to that position every year because you get to see them block You get to see some of these guys from smaller programs that we're simply not watching while we're on the tailgate tour every single week. All right, round four. You went running back round three. I'll piggyback off you here in round four. I'm going with Zach Moss. Now, assuming my prediction comes wrong that Georgia does not win the SEC championship, which is very likely, especially with the way the offense looks right now, I want to see Utah in the playoff. And the dude that carries this Utah offense is Zach Moss. And he is strictly, yes. he's a classic, not going to get drafted till round three, four, five, maybe even six. He's a bruiser. 
He is a workhorse. He carries the ball, it seems like, at least 20 times a game. He's gone over 100 yards his last four. He went over 200 yards against Arizona. Utah is winning in dominating fashion right now where if you're looking for that fourth team and Georgia can't win the SEC championship, I would love to see Utah in it, and I really want to see more Zach Moss. I think he'd be a great fit here on day three to kick day three off here for the Falcons. I love that pick for them. I love Zach Moss. Like Moss and Vaughn at the Senior Bowl are going to make the running back drills so much fun to watch just because they're very different. Lightning and thunder. But my goodness, yep. it's going to be a blast. Round five, I'm going to the linebacker position. You addressed this early on, and the, the Falcons have good athletes at this position. I, I love Deion Jones. was a huge fan uh, of his coming out of college, but I think they need, they need more here is, is where I find this team at. And round five... Not always going to get a high-caliber contributor, but Joe Bocci, someone we've talked about a decent amount on this show, probably would have gone earlier, but suspended for PEDs, that's going to knock him down the board a little bit. I think this is just a smart value pick at a position, even if not of pressing need, it is definitely of future need for the Falcons. Yeah, I really like Bocci. I know he's going to fall because of the suspension, which is really disappointing, but uh, when you look at him, he might be one of those day three linebackers. We've seen a lot of them hang around, play good special teams, and fill in when their name is called. Round five for me, I'm double dipping here on pass rusher. Got Curtis Weaver at the top of round two. Now go Bradley and Nye. Sticking with Utah here. Bring Utah over to Atlanta. And Nye with 11 sacks this year. That spin move he had this week against Arizona. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And he's another guy that's going to be at the Senior Bowl. Do I think he's the perfect player? No. But do I think he's an underrated pass rusher in this class? I certainly do. I really like what he brings to the table. And for Atlanta, you got to just stack the deck with pass rushers. This is the kind of guy you take the swing and gamble on in round five. So I I have an eye a little bit higher than this. And I'll say the only reason that, I, that I'm not like banging the table right now, being like, no, 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 he's going to go so much earlier. I don't know how tall he is. And that might sound like a really weird thing to like complain about, but he could slip because I don't know how tall and long he will be. And in a group with a lot of like big prototypical pass rushers, I think he's a really interesting name that I'm glad he's going to be at the senior bowl because, you know, guys like we haven't seen Kenny Willekes commit to the senior bowl yet. And that might be on Michigan state, but I think Bradley and I Jabari Zuniga, those two pass rushers, especially guys who are a little bit shorter, have a big chance to move up this year, just because, you know, we're not going to see chase young there. We're not going to see uh, gross Meadows there. Like, so these edge players and the two Alabama guys who are hopefully finally healthy, have a chance to, to really improve their stock. Sixth round. I might surprise some people here. But the Atlanta Falcons badly need a backup quarterback. You cannot have Matt Schaub as your backup quarterback in 2019. I'm sorry. And <laughs> Matt Ryan. 2015. Right? Matt Ryan's fantastic, but he's also getting older. And I think you have to have a plan for the future here. Not to say round six is a plan for the future, but it's time to start throwing some late picks at backup quarterbacks. I'm going with Nate Stanley here. And no, I don't think Nate Stanley's the quarterback of the future, but I think he has shown at times enough traits for me to believe that he could be a really good backup quarterback and someone that if if Matt Ryan has an ankle injury, he can come in for a game or two and hold down the fort. I mean, it's been the year of the backup across the NFL right now. It seems like everybody seemed to find one except the uh, the New York Jets and Chicago Bears. So when it comes down to it, Listen, take the swing for the fences at the end of day three on some of these guys. You might, might have well. the next Gardner Minshew. You might have the next Kyle Allen. I went with wide receiver here, just kind of get another body in that group. Kalijah Lipscomb, I think he's had what I would consider kind of a disappointing year, but I still think he's a good player. Really liked him over the summer, and you kind of said it earlier with Keyshawn Vaughn, Matt. 
if you're a player on Vanderbilt, you probably want to burn this tape this year. It's been a tough year for them. They've had some awful, awful games. They've gotten blown out by Florida. They got blown out by a Kentucky team that had to move wide receiver Lynn Bowden to quarterback. Oh, goodness. So it's not been good over there. But Lipscomb is still a guy that could play. And I think in the sixth round, you know, you have Julio under contract. You have Calvin Ridley. But you still always need guys' depth insurance. And I think Lipscomb is exactly that at the next level. All right, let's take a break. We come back. We're going to get into a loaded two segments of Draft on Draft. All right, it is draft on draft time. We got two loaded segments and questions for you guys because you've just been overflowing our Twitter inboxes with questions. Let's jump into it, Connor. Thomas Burton says, as a sad Bears fan, what if we were to use our top two, three, or four picks oh my God. on quarterbacks? Not trade those, but just draft one every pick. I I am fascinated by this strategy. I think that you would be kicked out of the NFL. Like you would be run out as a GM if you did this. Well, number one, please send more questions like this because I love this shit. Here's the problem: (laughs) you wouldn't be able to give them reps. (laughs) That's the issue, right? I love the idea. Now, should they pick two? Maybe I could sit there and argue that they should pick two, especially if they took a guy like Jordan Love and. Then, like, someone, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Jordan Love's so raw that yep. you're like, oh, maybe he just hits early with more help. But you, Well, and, yeah. like, the, the Packers did this back in the day. It was right after they had taken Aaron Rodgers. They took Brian Brom and right. Matt Flynn. And Brian Brom obviously flamed out. But Stop. they were able to develop Matt Flynn and, and you know, get uh, decent value for him. Uh, so, I... I I do love the idea, but the Bears just don't have a lot of draft picks, and they actually have so many needs. Like, you're not a quarterback away, Bears fans. I'm sorry. Your offensive line's bad. You need another corner. You're going to need a, a pass rusher when Leonard Floyd leaves. So, I, I again, I love the idea, but I don't think it's practical. It's not. At Sports <laughs> Simb, if the Panthers were to draft a quarterback in round one, who are the best fits out of the top seven guys, and who are the best realistic ones? Could they be a good landing spot for a developmental quarterback? I think the problem with the Panthers right now is where you guys would be drafting. Right now, you're at 16 overall. So what quarterback are you getting there? Because Joe Burrow's gone. Tua's gone. Justin Herbert's gone. So you fall into this situation. Do you want to reach for Jacob Eason, who I don't know that he's that different than what you have in Kyle Allen? Do you want to reach for Jordan Love, who does give you some traits, but it's just... It's a, a messy place to draft a quarterback because you're you're reaching for someone. And I think the Panthers are a team that right now you have to think maybe there could be a coaching change. New owner is there. Ron Rivera seems to be, you know, they're hovering around seven and nine, eight and eight every year. There's gonna be a change at quarterback. This might be the time to make a change at, at head coach, maybe even at general manager. So I would be surprised if they draft a quarterback just because 16 is such a bad spot to be in for one. Yeah, I think so too. I think you have to quit and you kind of nailed it, Matt. Uh, is what you're getting at 16 exponentially better than Kyle Allen? I think that's the question right there. And, and there's games where I like Eason. There's games where I don't think he's even close. It, it's so up in yeah. the air with him. And like you said, even if you like Herbert, I don't think Herbert's going to be there. I There's times with Jordan Love where I'm like, wow, that's a top 10 pick. There's also the, the 95 other times out of 100 where I'm like, he cannot be on an NFL field next year. <laughs> right. So it's like, yeah. 
I, I don't I to answer the question, those are the best guys and the realistic options. But and you are in a position to develop a quarterback because Kyle Allen's there. But if I'm the Panthers, I'm just not going to panic and do that right now. I'm going to get another piece and look at the 2021 class if it comes down to that. That's where I'm at, too. I would rather see Kyle Allen with a full offseason with number one reps and with an offense designed for him than bet on Jacob E. Center, Jordan Love. That's just that's where I'm at. Patrick Chamberlain, good question here. Give us a percent confidence these coaches should have in their job security. So he's got some college, some pro. Brian Kelly. I think Brian Kelly has 95% job security. Yeah, me too. Unless Urban Meyer back channels it and says, I want that job, which could happen. I think Brian Kelly's safe. I'm with you too. I don't think Brian Kelly is going anywhere. Uh, Not my favorite coach, but he's also not a bad coach. Here's the problem with Notre Dame. Notre Dame every year, they're they're never embarrassing, Notre Dame, right? Like Even when they're bad, they're kind of good. Exactly. Notre Dame is always in contention for the playoff. They'll always have that disappointing loss. They're they're not in the big boys lounge. They're not sitting there with Alabama, LSU now, Clemson, Ohio State. Now, Notre Dame views themselves as someone who should be sitting in the big boys lounge. So you have to ask yourself, can we go get the guy that could do that? Or do we stick with the guy that'll have us in the top 15 every year? I I don't think... They'll do the former. I think they'll just roll with Brian Kelly. I think so, too. Uh, here, this one's close to home. Tom Herman. Tom is safe. None of his assistants are. Wow. I think we could see a major staff shakeup. So I, I think 100% confidence. They know that Tom is building something there. We were just there week one. All the money they're throwing in the facilities there. They are not they're not going to fire Tom Herman. It would take a scandal at this point, I think, for him to get fired. Because even though this has been a down year, the 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 word at Texas has always been 2020. Like that's the class that they that's the year they've been building toward. Sam Ellinger senior year. Yeah, they're young this so, year. The defense is really I, young. Yeah, and I'm not defending Tom Herman um, at all because it has been a disappointing year. The defense is young and it's been banged up. So I if they don't win next year, then he's on the hot seat. Clay Helton I think is gone. I think Clay Helton's fired. They've wanted to fire him for that, years. <laughs> I know USC's ranked now, which I think is just gamesmanship by the committee to try to give, like, to try to give Oregon like a quality win. Um, I don't, I don't think Clay Hilton comes back next year. So I would say his percent confidence in job security should be like three percent. Yeah, I'll go five or ten. Uh, I don't see how he survives. That'd be really weird. And then this is a really good question. It's a good list. What do you think of Pat Fitzgerald yeah. right now? Who's been... I would say the next yeah. two. I think Pat Fitzgerald and Scott Frost, two guys who are coaching at their alma maters. Scott Frost has got a two-year yeah, extension. He's saying. They are both at 100%. They're not going anywhere. And I think the, the thing is you have to realize with Northwestern is, like, they're Northwestern. You know what I mean? Like, not nothing's wrong with that. But I think Pat Fitzgerald okay. gets the most out of Northwestern. They were in the Big Ten Championship game last yeah. year. They're okay with that. That will give him five years, you know, of cushion. So we were in the Big Ten Championship game in 2018, guys. Like, come on, settle down. Okay, on the pro side, we'll rip through these. Jason Garrett, I feel like he's at like 20% it's job over. security. Maybe. It, when Jerry's finally pissed and talking shit in the media, things are bad. Uh, and, and it's funny because the next guy on this list, Pat Shermer, Jason Garrett has been linked to that job if he gets fired. So Pat Shermer could be fired because Jason Garrett is fired. Matt Patricia, I think it's just time to admit it's not working. He's a good defensive coordinator. He's not a good head coach. 
Mike Tomlin has 100% job security. 100. They lost Ben Roethlisberger and would be a wild card team right now. He's not going anywhere. I know that Tomlin doesn't have, like, people don't think of him as one of the best coaches in the NFL. Peter King listed him as a potential coach I, of the year I agree. candidate this week. I agree. They're 6-5, and five, and they've had to play Mason Rudolph most of the time. Right. He sucks. Like Frat boy quarterback. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing what Mike Tomlin has gotten out of this team. Now, you know, obviously Kyle Shanahan is probably the coach of the year. Uh, John Harbaugh should be coach. You know, you look at those guys. But, man, I I also think coach of the year, there should be like two. Here we go, making new awards again. We're notorious for doing this. There should be the (laughs) coach of the year that's like coach of the best team. Then there should be, and they'll never make this, but like the coach that made chicken salad out of chicken shit. Like the most improved, I don't, yeah, something. Like that would be, like, I mean, even what the Colts are six and five. After Andrew Luck I, retired. I think about Frank Reich all the time, too. So, man, that's, no, Mike Tomlin, he, it, but the rest, man, I think all three of those guys are gone. The Lions are yeah. a goddamn mess. What happened? We cursed them ever Trading since we said that they had such a good start. Trading Q might be like the nail in the coffin, which sounds like a weird thing to trade, like a late round pick who plays safety, but he's been so good in Seattle. And it's obvious every week that they didn't handle that right. All right, let's take a break. We come back four more draft on draft questions. And then we're going to get you guys off to your Thanksgiving dinner. Back on draft on draft. Cole Terry asked, what are your thoughts on AJ Dillon? I've seen a wide variety of opinions on him. Also, he has two questions. If the Cowboys can't land Landon Riley, who'd be their next best option to replace Jason Garrett? Let's start with A.J. Dillon. I like A.J. Dillon. Um, I like him a lot as a college running back. I have a day three grade on him, like round four, so early day three grade on him. He's just, I mean, he's such a wrecking ball. And I think we can look at, so the way I do this with scouting is, and this is kind of similar to Derrick Henry, how many guys like A.J. Dillon are having success in the NFL? And the answer is really one. And I think Derrick Henry is just, I mean, different physically from A.J. Dillon. So when it's when you look at scouting that way, you're going to miss on guys. You know, you're going to miss on Lamar Jackson. Uh, you're going to miss on, you know, guys who just are outside the mold. And that's going to happen. Yeah. And I, I think it's okay. 95% of the time you're going to be right because these guys don't fit the mold. And 5% of the time, you're going to be really wrong because the guys who have success outside the mold, they break the fucking mold. And I think that's what we've seen with Lamar. So with A.J. Dillon, it's like, okay, he's not as fast as Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry is just somehow an untacklable force. Even when he's not moving fast, people cannot tackle him. I don't get that vibe from A.J. Dillon. So that's why I don't think of him as you know round two player like, like Derrick Henry was. Yeah, I'm with you there, and I think the problem is, too, a lot of people would be like, well, can you use him how Kyle Shanahan uses fullbacks? Get him involved in all these exotic passing schemes and stuff and block, because he is 250 pounds, which is a gigantic running back. But he's not that kind of pass catcher yet, either. You know, he's caught 11 balls this year for almost 200 yards, which is great, but he's not the kind of guy that I don't think is a mismatch in that regard. So I'm with you there. He is worthy of of draft pick. And he can handle the rock a million times a game. But the question is how effective he is. That really remains to be seen at that level where a lot of guys in his play style are not. Yep. And as to your second question, who could replace Jason Garrett? We're going to be fixing the Cowboys very soon at the way things are going. So hold on to your hats and we'll we'll have time to research that and give you more of a well-rounded answer. At Bo Jets 1. 
What round will Bryce Hall get drafted in? The Virginia corner Bryce Hall. I know that before the year, this guy had a lot of love from folks on Twitter, but he broke his tibia amphibia in mid-October. And those, like, that's big. So he's going to miss the Senior Bowl, obviously. He's most likely going to miss the Combine. I have a round two slash three grade on him, but it's with, like, a red line through it. because So that means... It depends on medical where he's at yeah. because that type of injury, I that's it, it's not you know it's not an ACL, so we're not all familiar with it, but that's pretty devastating. So it just depends on where he's going to be. But six one, two hundred pounds. I mean, obviously he he fits the the eye test. I never thought that he was great as an athlete, so I was a little bit down on him to begin with before the injury. Yeah, I think so too. I think he'll be somebody that in a good corner class too, Matt. That's another problem here. He's probably going to go the top of day three when you factor in all the medical things. I mean, he certainly was talented enough to be a day two pick. There's no doubt about that. But I think when it comes down to it, the injury is really going to hurt him. And the fact that a lot of teams, I mean, we're going to have Jeff Okuda go in the first round. We're going to have Christian Fulton go in the first round. C.J. Henderson, who we talked about on the show, is going to go in the top three rounds most likely. Jeff Gladney is going to go probably in the top 50. Yep. And that's just a couple guys. I I mean, this is a very, very good corner class. Bryce Hall is a good player, but we're going to have to wonder how much the injury affects him, and it could affect him by a couple of rounds. Yeah, and I I did like him. Um, he was a guy I thought um, – I talked to some people over the summer and was pegging him as like a, a fit for teams like the Niners, Seahawks, Jaguars. Is not a first-round pick, but as a good scheme fit. At Chromets, what can you recommend as a fix for the Packers? Let's say O-line, wide receiver, middle linebacker in the first three rounds. Based on what their GM likes to do, by addressing multiple position, one position with multiple picks, what wide receivers can be picked in the second and third round? I think uh, the one reason I, I threw this question in here because I I love how much fans study their GMs and like figure out their preferences. It's and fantastic. this is a good year to do this. They do need a lot of help at wide receiver. They need help at tight end. This is a good year to do it. So I think even if we don't see the Packers go, you know, back to back wide receivers, we could see them go wide receiver then tight end. And wide receiver, I think you can look at guys like Justin Jefferson, Donovan Peoples-Jones as round two players, assuming they both come out early this year, who would be a good fit. Sage Surratt from Wake Forest, uh, hurt with a shoulder injury. But if he comes out as a redshirt sophomore, I think he's an interesting fit in round two. And then in round three, you can come back around with a, a Hunter Bryant type at tight end from Washington or Jared Pinckney from Vanderbilt. So this is a good year to stack pass catchers just because of, how much talent there is. And and also, I think you can come back around at like six or seven and look at trait-type receivers, you know, guys who aren't going to be, you know, they're not going to be the fastest and best route runners, but you might be able to just find, you know, a guy like K.J. Hill at Ohio State who hasn't had a great year, you know, in terms of production, but was really good with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback and has speed. So you could get someone a little bit later that could then fill in a bit of the gaps. Yeah, Jennings from Tennessee is another one of those guys. No speed, but you take him on day so three. Physical. And just, yeah, he's a super physical guy, physical in his routes, monster after the catch. I think another guy that would be interesting for Green Bay on day two at wide receiver is K.J. Hamler. You see what the Ravens have done. They built yep. this ground attack that could stretch the field vertically. You see the Packers, Aaron Jones is the focal point of their offense, but if they can get a wide receiver that could also threaten the field vertically, Hamler is probably that guy on day two. He's small, very, very fast, and and something we're going to talk about with this team, and I really like that Kromitz mentioned it in the question here, they're going to have to add some pieces to the offensive line. They got a great one, Nelton Jenkins, last year, but they got to keep stacking the deck with offensive linemen as those tackles get a little bit older. 
Yep. Last question from Garrett Greenley. At what point does age become a concern with draft prospects? So boilerplate answer. The way that I was taught to evaluate, if a player turns 24 in their rookie season, you note it and you try to evaluate with that context. I think that we at times, because scouting is hard, you like look for anything to put a player over another. So it's like we were talking about Sam Darnold, a, a 20, what was he, 20 year old basically draft pick yeah. versus a Joe Burrow who's going to be 23. Joe Burrow what is the, six months older than Sam Darnold. Right. So, like, what are the, what are the benefits there? With Sam Darnold, it's like, okay, he's, he's only 22, but does that mean that he can be developed more than Burrow, who's currently 22? So, I, I think that's. I don't know the answer to it. It's definitely something we pay attention to, but as a rule of thumb, 24-year-old rookie is something that you might red flag. So I've actually heard both sides of this argument. I've heard the Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson draft young guys because they have more development potential. I've also heard it the other way where guys say, I would rather, especially at quarterback, have the more mature physical, like the guy's body's already matured physically. We know what he is, where he's going, and quarterbacks are playing until their late 30s now. So does that make as much of a difference? Like you're going to get your 15 years of hits in the NFL, basically whether you start those hits at 21 or at 23, 24. So it's it's not as much a concern at quarterback as it might be for running backs, where there's a 30 year. It seems like show, you know that's your limit. Wide receiver really does not look at how many receivers perform after 30. It's like Larry Fitzgerald. That's it. So I think for skill players, it matters a lot more than quarterbacks. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think corner. It also really sets ceiling. I mean, a lot of times when a, a player is, you know, a 24-year-old prospect, 23-year-old prospect, you kind of know what they are a little more so. You're not going to sit there and say, well, this guy will get this drastically better. Where, like the perfect example, Matt, you remember Tremaine Edmonds was 19 as a yeah. prospect? And you watch Tremaine Edmonds play and you go, okay, these, there's a lot of mistakes that he makes. But the flash plays at 19 years old – and under good coaching, which he's had in Buffalo and has helped him develop, that sets a ceiling that is otherworldly compared to a linebacker that would be 23 years old. That's had four years, yep. four more years of play in front of him. And I think it's something that's interesting with a lot of prospects this year. I know a lot of Jets fans are frustrated with Quinn and Williams. Quinn and Williams is another young guy, a one-year starter at Alabama. He needs to get stronger. He needs to get yes. – I mean, he's on the ground a lot. He has not been very good. And – uh, does that mean we're out on Quinton Williams? No. A lot of people compared him, including myself, to Fletcher Cox. Fletcher Cox didn't have a great rookie season. They turned into one of the best defensive linemen we've seen in the last decade. So that's really a couple different examples of she how also guys... also needs help around him. <laughs> it, yeah, sure. So... Yeah. And, and, you know, it depends what the scheme asks you to do. But just going back to prospect age, yeah, I do think it factors in greatly. It's very important. But it's also very important how to value it because I see people on Twitter go, oh, this guy's 24, I don't want him. It's, yeah. What if he's a good player? It's not that easy. It's, it, it's everything. And I, I would say this about 40 times, three cone times, advanced statistics, age. Everything is just part of the puzzle. And like, I don't know that one piece should be bigger than the other in terms of just generally speaking. They're all very important pieces. Besides but, the bench press. Yeah, right? So important, <laughs> the bench press numbers. If I, could, I actually told someone this the other day. If I could only take one test to evaluate a prospect if they took everything away and you're like you get one thing bench press. it would be three cone <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah mine would be three cone uh Me bench too. press is worthless absolutely Me too. three worthless. cones more valuable than the 40 most of the time without a doubt 
without so. a doubt. Unless you're DK Metcalf, apparently. Jeez, you're just an anomaly. Right. Do whatever yeah. the fuck you want. So that is our show. Happy Thanksgiving, yeah, happy Thanksgiving. to all of you. Uh, enjoy your your time with your family. Have safe travels. Again, the Friday show will be a best of with four of our favorite interviews from the last year. And then we will be back as normal Monday, kicking off December, getting into draft season for all these teams. I'm sure we will have a mock draft Monday for you guys. So for Connor and Mello, happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you all real soon. 